Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good day, mates. I hope your Friday is going spectacularly. And if you're anything like me, when it hits Friday, I'm already in chillax mode. Drinking tea and thinking about how I get to enjoy the weekend to come. Today I have for you brilliant people three stories. Our first is titled, Arya's Eyes, a tale of mystery and intrigue. Your second tale is Digression of Will, a tale involving the war and the toll on the mind that it has on those in the thick of it. And lastly, The Doctor is Waiting, a tale of an experiment gone wrong. Disclaimer, Digression of Will covers the war in a somewhat graphic detail, and I purposely did not go over the top with the sound effects, as I felt it was a little too on the nose. For those of you who are listening and have loved ones involved in any action like this, there is a fine line between a story and reality at times. I didn't want to blur the line. So out of respect, I want to let you all know, please listen with caution for that second tale. Now, turn up the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. Arya's Eyes What began as a foggy morning turned a sinister corner, following the mail I received. Within this small, unassuming box I pondered the regents of my clockwork, slowly grinding to a halt. This box, however, is not the culprit. I took the box in hand, and tossed it aside without a moment's hesitation, Expecting some useless knick-knack or some unnecessary piece of garbage I've come to expect. However, upon second glance, I noticed the name of a sender I could not possibly have expected. Under hazy light of dawn's first break, crashing through the doorway, I read silently, Aria Weiss. As one can discern, this worried me greatly. While not family, this young lady was dear to me, as a friend, at least. The package loomed in my hand. As all other thoughts evacuated my mind, something between paranoia and displacement replaced them. With a swift motion, the box popped open on both sides, enabling me sight into its contents. Here we find the culprit. As the box splits open, there are two items held within its bowels. An envelope, relatively cumbersome, at one end and filled to bursting with yet unidentifiable papers. The other is a book, a thick, leather-bound book clasped by a tiny padlock in the shape of a heart. Staring deeply into that box, an overwhelming sense of trepidation washes over me. As I slowly lift the book from the box, I gaze at its fine workmanship, its exquisite leather, and its lovely iron accenting. A heavy thing of times much older, or at least made by hands not accustomed, or pretended very well not to be, to today's manufacturing circuit. I lay the book aside, as the clock on the wall remains my only reminder that time still exists. However, as I touch the paper constructing the envelope, time seemed to stand still. 
A moment became an eternity of blood draining slowly from my face. In a cold sweat, I swallowed hard. What could possibly be contained within? I ran my finger along its fond, hoping that this sense of dread would be all for naught. Perhaps this is the money she owes me. Perhaps this is some kind of joke. Perhaps... I unfold the envelope to find photographs. No fewer than one dozen, but strange and blurred. As though taken with shaking hands, and developed with faltered body, stressed with fatigue. There was always something going on with Aria, related to photography. I have no doubt that she took and developed these photos within her home, but for what purpose? And why send them to me? I realize these photographs were taken from inside her home. The hair on the back of my neck turned up as I looked at them closely. The doors and windows, boarded from the inside, mirrors broken, shattered against their will. Her bedroom completely demolished, her bed against the once gorgeous picture window, covering it with the curtains strewn over top. The walls scratched and torn, furniture no less than smashed or broken, pieces of wood, shards of glass, hunks of indescribable mangled metal, all indiscriminately Littering the floor in corners. Repulsed, I look away from the photographs. I looked again to the book on the couch beside me. I then pondered the weighty envelope, now devoid of its other occupants. I picked it up, as a pair of minuscule keys fell into my hand, each shaped of a heart and made of iron, matching the leather-bound tome beside me. I snatched up the book and attempted to remove the padlock, I felt my gut wrench. A flash of every photograph echoed in my recent memory as the lock opened with a soft click. I removed it and unraveled the thick leather strap binding the hardback together. Its pages free. They opened to the first page. Her diary lay in my hands. Some hours passed, detailing meaningless facts and figures, notes of the weather and what games she played. She is a notable video game journalist, after all. Her thoughts and opinions matter much to some people. I grew somewhat bored of the dull, listless droning of hating this game, adoring another. Break the monotony with something medical, but altogether leaving my thirst unquenched. I had begun to believe that this was indeed some kind of joke. But I was unfortunately incorrect as I reached a section of a diary dating of around three months prior to receiving this package. The Diary The most notable factor leading into the diary entries that catch my attention is the mention of her publisher requesting a review of Amnesia The Dark Descent. She does not mention where the game originated, simply that somewhere there about of a week transpired between her finishing this game and the first diary entry. I did not connect the dots on this fact until having read all the entries and re-indulging myself in the prior weeks and days. Day, Day one. one. My dream of night past disturbed me. I could not explain what I saw nor heard. However, before I awoke, I saw what I can't justify describing as an image of myself in the mirror, staring in two directions, both into and out of the mirror. I felt as though both were me, but neither was me. 
simply an expressionless stare, but I dared not move because I knew not which was the real me. By automation, however, I reached for my lipstick and wrote heavily across the mirror, I can see you. I did not notice the writing, however, until I had seen it for myself. My question remains, which self wrote the message and which read it? Day 4 Another mirror dream. I seemed to be encircling treacherous phantasms of incomprehensible boundaries. I feel my heart sink of tedious beat within my chest as I feel my mirrored self staring back at me. Incapable of deduction for where I stand, the side of which I want myself to be, or the side which stares at me. If I could discern which is the real me, I may understand better the purpose. It occurred to me as I read that this strange dream seemed to be a reoccurring theme in days to come. Her handwriting became more frantic and hurried as the days progressed into this spiral. This leads to a period of sleep deprivation due to night terrors. The writing on the mirror has not been recorded since the first night according to a diary, and I had unearthed that she had been sleeping fewer and fewer hours each night. Accompanying the recorded times that her diary received entries, the diary then supplied me with an unexpected turn of events as she began suffering from insomnia. Day 8 I have fallen incorrigibly into a state of paranoia. Face pale and eyes swollen, I exclude myself from outdoor activities and have neglected my writing and photography. The same dream occurs over and over as I attempt to exercise the thought from my mind. I can only think of me staring at myself, only staring, never moving. How many hours have I peered blankly into my own eyes? Eyes now pained of seeing themselves, mouth agape in wonderment for the spoils that never were. I don't understand what's happening, but I realize that I haven't used my computer since I played Amnesia over two weeks ago. Day 10 I happened across something unusual as I moved the boxes in the attic. From the corner of my eye I caught a glimpse of something. I unfortunately could not describe what, but something nonetheless. I am absolutely enthralled to know what as I looked towards it. Under the crouch of a shadow, nothing was encased. There was absolutely nothing there, though I am sure I saw something. Perhaps it was a stray cat. I will investigate tomorrow. Day 14. The visions have proceeded much worse. I am seeing something from the corner of my eye every so often, but as I look towards it, it vanishes as though nothing was ever there. I expect this is a result of the lack of sleep I have received. However, I refuse to sleep. Not when I can see eyes staring back into me. Those damn eyes. Were they truly mine? Day 20. I have seen those things through the corner of my eye. Far too numerous moments. Faces, eyes, stares, glares. With each new face in the shadow of an empty room, I feel a picking. A working devil splayed into the back of my mind. I feel as though my writing is not mine anymore, as though this itch that causes my skull directs me to what is recorded on this page. My hand trembles to understand the deep pools of madness which it spawned. I am 
falling, encircling a drain of myself. Day 25. Faces plastered in the memory of photographic quality, eyes which pierced the veil of darkness to rend me powerless before them. A simple mouth without expression, a bewitching quality, by which I may never wake from. A cognitive mind following that decrepit glare, that scuttling embrace, which claws its way into my mind each wakeful hour. All of which are simply gone, without warning, trace or trespass, as my eyes hope to meet theirs. But of course, as those eyes crawl across me, through me, I feel their grasping looks, and hope never to cross expressions. Day 30. Within the enveloping shadows, the skittering madness consumes, scratching, biting always, biting. It claws its way into your mind. The unfathomable depth of consciousness that searches and never finds. Twisting visage of pain and torture that never leaves a physical mark. The darkness may not harm me, but what hides within its veil I will never know. But forever dream of. Their eyes are watching me always. Always watching. Always staring. And the diary ends. It does not peter and die, it simply ends. Each and every hair upon my body is standing at attention, and each and every fibre of my being is screaming. Her handwriting came close to tearing the page with her last four words. I looked again to the photographs, seeing now that shadow consumes most of the living space. What disturbs me most is that Arya is in none of them. Regardless that she is the one taking the photograph, I would expect her to at least turn the camera to herself in some form of desperation if she went to this trouble. What you can't see can't hurt you. Against my better judgment, I found myself standing at her front door under gloomy skies, able to break open and unleash a torrent of rain at any moment. I examined the modern home. Its windows are opaque of boards nailed to their inside sills. Its topiary design is dying of thirst, and its lack of use apparent. A haunting note of dilapidation overruns the outside walls, regardless that someone has lived here. With a large amount of bolstered courage, I raised my hand and knocked upon the wooden door. With the absence of sound, I knocked louder. I pulled from my pocket my cell phone and dialed Arya without a moment's hesitation. I suddenly but faintly hear her familiar ringtone from inside the house. Lowering the phone without hope, an answer is found. I hold the phone quickly to my ear, frantically exclaiming into it for a response. To my utter dismay, the line is silent. As I fall to match its volume, I hear a faint sound from the other side, breathing. Soft breathing was being delivered through the phone's receiver, then nothing. The line went dead. I looked to my phone, discovering only my home screen and a new outgoing call in the log, terrified by what I just heard. I took a step back, placing the device into my pocket. I then steeled myself and slammed hard into the door, which crashed open. I stood in a house which appeared abandoned from every single angle. Furniture overturned and smashed, dishes demolished, and the pieces piled into the waterless sink. 
food strewn across the countertops and rotting. The smell of mold and mildew aside, rotting food assailed me, forcing me to cover my face with my sleeve. I called into the home, with shadows crawling over every surface, no answer. Reluctantly, I searched. From room to room, I find exactly what the photographs had warned me of. Distress, pain, something sinister far beyond my understanding. I finally make it to Arya's bedroom at the rear of the house. The last room to remain unsearched. She was not to be found within. She was not within the confines of this house. I looked about the room, my hopes crushed. I step into the inhuman world, ransacked of life and limb. The dust and the mold slowly settled, as the light from the front door cursed the room shadows. I turned, heartbroken of her absence, and made my way to the front door. She could not have left, as all the doors and windows are barred from the inside. What happened to her? None of this makes sense. Perhaps I'd be better off leaving it. I stopped myself mid-thought looking harshly to my right. Nothing was there, to my dismay. I thought to myself, must have been a stray cat. And I slowly pulled the door tight behind me. Digression of Will July 1916 I'm not sure of the exact date, I don't even know why I'm writing this letter. My wife, Martha, died of her illness only days after I left, and my parents died when I was young. I was an only child. From what I can remember about my parents, my mother couldn't bear bringing up a kid, and my father never even wanted me in the first place. Due to my wife's illness, we didn't want to risk having a child. We would wait until she got better. I miss her so much. It was the only reason I ever enlisted in the stupid war for the war bonds and we needed the money for her treatment. Now she's gone and I'm still here. So why in the bloody hell am I writing this? It may be for our own sanity. The chances are no one will ever see this except me. I don't expect anyone to make it out of here alive. There are only about a dozen of us left after that fight, and those German bastards are getting closer by the minute. I don't care about any of the soldiers left in front of me. I did care, though, about a few. But they're all dead now. Dan was a great guy. A little too chatty sometimes, but great and a master with a knife. Him and the boys would always be playing five-finger fillet. Even by the time Dan knocked down three drinks, he'd still be hitting it perfect, faster than anyone. He always loved his trusty scabbard. He said he had pulled off a dirty German. Alex was quite the opposite of Dan. He was very quiet but the silence became necessary on the battlefield. He was the best shot anyone's ever seen. Could shoot the feathers right off a snipe. From the other side of the forest, that one. He was never far from his MK3 rifle. Joker was always cocky and a little greedy, but he was a nice guy. He got his name from being a poker shark. He never lost. He said it was because of his lucky Joker. Some accused him of cheating, but I know he'd never do that. He was kind-hearted. He even offered to win me some money for Martha's treatment. While Dan was playing five-finger fillet, Joker would be making bets at the table over. I couldn't accept the winnings, though. The bonds would be enough to cover it. 
Little did I know that a few days later, I'd receive a letter informing me of her death. He never told me of his real name, though. It didn't really matter, I guess. We were in the trenches just before the battle started. He looked at me and said, Don't lose count. I bet you ten quid I can take down more than you. Then he pulled out his lucky joker and stuck it in the top of his helmet. It might as well have been a target. The second he stuck his head out of that trench, the first bullet fired in the battle went straight through his head. I watched his body fall back down and the grey matter spill out of the back of his head. I gazed as the smoke came off of the hole in the centre of his now bloodstained and singed lucky joker. I couldn't look away from the broken smile of the jester on the card. It felt like an eternity until Dan came over and shook me out of it. I jumped when he did. Snap out of it! I didn't even notice the sounds of the gunfire. Get the ammo! He told me to grab everyone some ammo. He knew I wasn't ready to fight after seeing that. I grabbed as much as I could and ran back. Then I heard the shot. It knocked me right on my face and I dropped everything I was carrying. The sound was like a cannon. But there was no way they could bring a cannon to the trenches. I got back and I ran back to get Dan, leaving the ammo behind me. When I got to Dan, his face was pale and he was silent. Everyone had told me that even in battle, Dan would always be shouting remarks or giving tactical advice. Then I climbed up to see what the sound was. The sound from before was a moving cannon made of metal. I've never seen anything like it. Dan looked up with me and he saw a man come out of the top. He tried to shoot him, but the barrel was empty. He grabbed me by the collar and started screaming at me for the ammo. The ammo I left behind. I saw his pupils dilate as he watched the man go back into the cannon. I'll never forget what happened next. Dan pulled his scabbard out of his belt and he leaped over the top of the trench and ran towards the machine. He was shot down in a matter of seconds, but he was still alive on the ground, only several feet away from the machine. Then it moved. It ran him over and he screamed. The sound is still echoing in my head. The pain he must have felt was excruciating. He screamed and begged as I watched his body get flattened, watched as his skin split open and his blood and innards popped out of him like a balloon full of hot air. Even over all the gunfire, I could hear every crunch of his bones being crushed underneath it. I was about to go up after him. I don't even know why. But then I heard someone yell, Sniper! Sniper! I dunked back down and looked over only to see Alex dead, shot through the chest. He had bled out. I'm not sure whether it was because no one heard him over the gunfire, or if he was shot through a lung and couldn't get the breath out to scream, or if, even in death, he stayed silent. But no one had come to help him. I ran back into the bunker, and now here I am, writing a letter that will never be seen. I'm looking around right now and I can't hear anything except Dan screaming, ringing in my head. The walls are pushing closer. I was watching the corner listening to a soldier mutter to himself. The others were trying to calm him down. The muttering became clear to me though. 
It sounded like German. It was German soldier, a spy. So I picked up a rifle and I shot him right in the heart. The others came at me. The ones who were trying to calm me down, they tried to grab my gun. Then I realized they were all German soldiers. So I killed them. All of them. I killed them. I picked another gun off the ground and shot another in the head. His brain matter spilled on two of them and they stood there in shock. It gave me the opportunity to snap one of their necks and stab the other in the chest, just as Dan showed me. He was still breathing when he hit the ground. So I picked up one of the guns and beat his head in with the butt of the rifle. With each hit, his choking got quieter, and every squish made me more calm. Until... Until it wasn't even recognizable as a human head. I heard Dan screaming in my head to come save him, so I'm going. I have one bullet left. I hear the cannon coming closer. I'm coming to save you, Dan. Alex, Joker, and Martha. I'm coming to save you. The doctor is waiting. The following journal entries were found beside the bed of a 25-year-old man named Jacob Data redacted. The circumstances of his death were strange, as he seemed to be infected with the strain of the Black Plague, and had a large dose of mercury in his digestive system. There are six journal entries. January 15th, 2011. Well, hello, I guess. My name is Jacob, and apparently I'm fucking crazy. My therapist told me to start keeping a journal log of my dreams, or rather to say it better than nightmares. He wants to analyze them to determine whether or not I'll need to continue seeing him. Well, I mean, I guess I don't have much else to write here until I get some sleep. January 16th, 2011. Last night I had a dream. Much like any night, I was laying in my bed at night and I heard banging on my door. This isn't odd for me. Due to the fact this isn't the first time I had this exact dream. Some weird masked guy walked in after about three knocks. He was holding onto some stick that looked like it was just a normal branch. He wore a top hat and a long black gown. The mask kind of looked like a bird beak that was oddly elongated. He stood there watching me for a few moments and then came over and poked me with the stick, moving my head sideways. He seemed to be examining the area of my neck that he revealed by moving my head as he did. After this, he promptly got up and left my room. For the remainder of the dream, I was just laying there looking at my ceiling in silence. That's about it. Jacob. January 17th, 2011. I'm writing this right before I go to bed. I had a pretty odd day. First off, my dream was nothing eventful, pretty much the same as last night. So nothing new in that respect. When I got out of bed this morning, I saw a vase of flowers beside my bed. I guess I woke up throughout that night and decided to make the room look nicer. Anyway, I called in sick today at work because I was a little shaken up at first about the whole incident. I did some research on the computers at the library. Apparently, the thing I keep seeing is known as the Plague Doctor. He went around back when the plague was spreading and used odd means of attempting to cure the ones infected. One really smart one was to have the patient drink mercury. I mean, really? How the fuck can somebody be that stupid? Ah well, I'm gonna catch some sleep. Jacob. January 18th, 2012. 
January 18th, 2011. Today was really fucked up. I woke up and saw a dark ring on my shoulder, and I felt like shit. I went to the bedroom and puked for a good five or so minutes. The dream last night. It was even more odd. This time, instead of simply poking at me, the thing took its gloves off and touched me. In fact, where he touched me was where the ring later developed. It... it was creepy as hell. I'm gonna call in sick today and do some research as to what I might have. Jacob. January 18th, later that day, 2011. Okay, I'm scared right now. The only thing I can find as to what this might be is the actual Black Plague. I thought that shit died out or something. I... I don't know what to do. If I go to the doctor, they'll probably just keep me there until I die. And I don't want that. I take pride in my freedom and like hell am I going to give it away now? I spend so many years alone. No, I'm not going to the doctor, that's not an option. January 19th, 2011. I can barely write anymore. Last night's dream was on a whole new level than my previous dreams. It felt like it was real this time. Guys, I don't think I'm dreaming anymore. This thing is real. What it's doing, it's real. This thing, it's really here. This is the last entry I'll be writing, judging by what I've been reading. I don't have much longer at this stage. It's odd though. It's far more quick than it said it should have been. Goodbye. Jacob. Patient number 2501 seems to have passed away. Test strand number 18 has failed to produce positive results. I have placed flowers in his room to try and clear up the air, but the process failed. As a last resort, I had the subject ingest a small amount of mercury to try and strengthen his system. Soon after ingesting this, he convulsed multiple times and passed away. I shall try and quarantine the area around him, for it seems it has started to spread. I fear we could lose control of this strain at this rate. Well, you lovelies, I hope you enjoyed all three tales. Ari's eyes was quite different, and I haven't done a cliffhanger episode in some time. It can leave people a little empty, but it may warrant a re-listen to pick up on what's going on there. Digression of Will was quite intense, and I gotta say, wasn't too comfortable with much of the sound effects I added initially, due to the seriousness of war. And I'm glad that I didn't go over the top. It does deserve a modicum of respect to its content. The tale itself, though, definitely something I can see happening during the war. The loss of sanity over friends lost and futures destroyed. Just awful. And the last tale the Doctor is waiting is all about a guinea pig's perspective on development of an antidote for the Black Plague. Short, sweet, and wholly terrifying. Mates, thank you so much for listening. All of you really make my day when you join for these tales. And speaking of making my day are my supporters. Living legends, frankly. They ensure this podcast keeps improving. My Patreon supporters. First up, my Ode Night Tea Titan, who strides in the clouds with their support. Maya, mate, you put the bounce in my step every single month. Thanks to you. My administrative cost for the year is covered in two months of your support. You are a godsend. 
Thank you so, so much, and your support will never be forgotten. My white tea warlord, Lee Bauer, the living legend that spearheads this podcast into being what it is, all about the audio, sound effects, music, and more. Thank you, Lee. Your support lets me flex my editing and audio muscles, and both yours and my support has brought new music and special effects into today's episode as well. Thanks, mate, for your awesome support. And the blood that pumps in this podcast veins, my Earl Grey forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker One, and Solstra. Mates, thank you all for your support. And I'm sure you've figured this out already, but you put a smile on my face every time I get to read out your names. Have a kick-ass weekend. Stay brilliant, which isn't hard for you lot. And as always, till next, we meet.